This morning's scripture reading is from Romans 4, 18 through to 5, 5. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over the death, over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be back with you today. Uh, I was, uh, we were, our family was at Fairbridge last week, and um, just as a reminder, Fairbridge is a great way for you to support musicians and artists, uh, many of who live in the Fremantle area, uh, to go and, and listen to them sing and to spend time with them and just love them. And so next year, uh, it'd be great to have more of you go down to Fairbridge, uh, and uh, we'll all camp out near one another. You don't have to camp out right next to one another, but near one another. That way we can spend time together. Uh, and then maybe even on Sunday mornings, we can uh, have a little sing song uh, and, and praise uh, God together, unless there's some great band out there uh, that we would want to go here. Uh, so, but it is good to be back with you. Um, we are beginning today a, a sermon series over the next six Sundays. Well, there's a Sunday in there that I won't be here, but next six Sundays that I'll be preaching where we're talking about how the resurrection actually impacts all of our relationships that we have. Now, a few weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this true historical fact where Christ was dead and buried and then by the power of God rose again to new life, empowering us to walk in that new life with him. And it can be very easy for us because we do this with holidays. We either have a holiday that we are looking forward to and we anticipate getting to it. And then we have that holiday and we go, yay, the holiday. And then when the holiday is over, we go, Woo, now I'm glad I can relax from that holiday for a little bit because it was tiring leading up to it. And now that it's over, I need to rest and get over it. And then we go on to the next holiday. We can't do that with Easter. Because what happens in the resurrection is it changes everything. 
In the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is the the foci, it is the, the center of all things. From it, all things have changed. It is in the resurrection that God is making all things new. It is in the resurrection that he is empowering all of us to walk in how we were created to be. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at how this amazing event, that's more than just an event, it is everything changes the way that we live in relationship with God, with ourselves, with our friends, as parents and children, as partners in marriage, and even with our enemies, and what it means for us to live in resurrection relationships. But it's good to start in the foundation, and that foundation relationship is the one with God. The one where we are stepping into this relationship with God in a new and exciting way because of the resurrection and what happens to it. But before we get there, we have to understand that there was a separation in that relationship. Earlier in Romans, Paul talks about us being enemies of God. And I think when we hear that, we think of two adversarial sides of an equation. This side against this side and this side against this side. And that's only human for us to think that way. But that's not the way our adversarial relationship with God is. Maybe the best way to think about it is the way that Jesus described it in a parable that he told. In Luke 15, it's recorded for us this great parable. Jesus is talking about lost sheep and lost coins. And then he gets to the story of the prodigal son. Now, some of you maybe have heard this story before and some of you maybe haven't. You can go back and look in in your Bibles later to see what it is. But if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty and do a Lee Hinkle paraphrase of that story. So there happens to be this father, and he has two sons. And these two sons, there's the older son, who is very, very diligent at doing everything that the father wants done. And then there's the younger son, who is very, very diligent of doing the opposite of what the father wants him to do. So much so that the younger son decides that it's not worth hanging around in the house of his father anymore. And what would really be best is if he was able to get all the money that he would get once his dad passed away and go out and spend it the way that he wanted to spend it. The whole time, the older brother's looking on, watching and saying, no, no, I'm just going to keep doing what the father has asked me to do. Now, the younger son finally gets up the courage to go to the father and say, hey, dad, I know you're not dead yet, and I'm not saying I want you to die, but if you could give me all the money that I would get once you die, that would be awesome. And the father says, okay, if that's what you want. And so he deals out all the money that he's owed, and he gives it to him and says, here you go. And the son says, thanks, dad. See you later. I'm out. And he runs away from home. He goes into what it says is a faraway land. And he begins to live a life of, well, for lack of a better word, debauchery. He he finds all ways to pursue pleasure for himself. And in any and every way that that money will provide for him, he goes about it. 
Now, at the same time, his older brother is diligently doing the work at home, trying to please his father as much as he can, wanting to do all that his father has asked him to do, making sure that he's dotting his I's and crossing his T's so that someday his father will look at him and say, well done. Now, the, older, the younger brother, after having a bit of a good time, all of a sudden opens his wallet and realizes he's out of cash. And with that, all his friends and all the pleasures of life leave him. And he decides to himself, I need to get a job. And the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Now, realizing that Jesus is a Jew, talking to Jews, that's a pretty low gig. As he's sitting there, he's looking at what the pigs are eating, and he says, "My, these look good to me. <laughs> what the pigs are eating looks good to me. I'm that hungry. My dad's servants eat better than this. I'll go home. Now, at the same time, the older brother is still dotting his I's and crossing his T's, doing all that he can do to make sure that the father is pleased with him. Finally, the younger brother decides, I'm going to go. But I'm going to go and I'm saying, I'm unworthy to be your son. Please forgive me. Let me be a servant in your house. And as he's walking that way, he sees this figure off in the dusty road running towards him as fast as he could. He can't make it out. He's almost afraid that it could be one of the servants coming to beat him up and say, you can't come back into the house. Yet as it gets closer and he recognizes that it's really not that fast of a run, as a matter of fact, it looks like it might be an older gentleman running toward, maybe that looks just a, a little bit like, that is my father running towards me. This is maybe worse than I expected. And as soon as his dad gets there, he says to him, I am unworthy to be your, and his dad says, stop, stop. You're home. Come in. He calls a servant and says, get a fatted calf, uh, uh, get a ring, get a robe. Let's get him cleaned up and let's bring him in. And all the while, the older brother, who'd been dotting his I's and crossing his T's, has been off to the side. And he comes in from a hard day of work trying to please the father. And he recognizes that there's a party going on and he's wondering what's happening. And as he gets closer, he calls out one of his servants and says, can you go check and see what's going on? If it's some surprise party for me, that would be awesome. I'd love to experience that. But I don't like surprises, so go tell me if it's a surprise party so that I can act surprised and not be surprised. And the servant comes back and says, it's for your brother. He's back. And so he refuses to go in. And the father comes out and says, what's the problem? Your brother who's dead is now alive, who was lost is now found. He's back. And he says, dad, I've been here all along. I've been doing all these things. He's gone off and squandered all your money. And and what you've decided to do is throw him a party. Yet you never even gave me a young goat to have dinner and a party with my friends. And the father looks at him and says, son. Everything that I have is yours. You've only needed to ask. See, our relationship with God is fractured, not in an adversarial role where God is looking out saying, I'm against you, and we're looking out and saying, I'm against you. In fact, we are either the younger brother or the older brother who are adversarially looking at the father. You see, the younger brother was looking at the father saying, you're holding me back from the things that I want. You're the one who is keeping me from the pleasures I desire. You want to rule over my life, but I think I would do a better job. So I'll sit on the throne of my life Thank you very much, Lord, and I will take over. And the father says, I I know what's best for you. 
but go. And I will be waiting. Nay, I will pursue you to bring you back. Or some of us are like the older brother who thinks that everything that we're doing is what is going to get us into the favor of the Father. That by living right and doing right and crossing the T's and dotting the I's are the things that are going to make us worthy of the Father's love. Yet we have an adversarial row towards the Father because instead of looking at Him as the generous, gracious Father that He is, we are looking at Him as the worst human possible Father who can't wait to abuse us and can't wait to be disappointed with us that it's a a God that looks at us and says you'll never get it right see he didn't believe that all good things were there for him he didn't trust that he could ask daddy can I have a goat and so he built his father as an adversary as an enemy someone that he couldn't trust was good So we both either sit in one or sometimes both of those places in our heart at the same time. We want to rule our heart. And the reason why I want to rule my heart is because I could never please you. But God, through the resurrection, makes relationship with him possible in the way that it always was supposed to be and in a new and exciting way for us who are fallen. And that's where we jump into this story in Romans, where we see the story of Abraham, who is a hundred years old and still does not doubt that God will bring forth a baby to his wife, this promised child. And you see there, he says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he he grew strong in his faith at the glory of God, fully convinced that God was able to keep his promises. And then in verse 22, it says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Check this out. These words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for you to whom God will credit righteousness for those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, but was raised, resurrection, to life for our justification. See, our relationship with God impacted by the resurrection is because we become justified. Now, the great thing about the churches of Christ is they're cool on slogans. And one of the slogans for justification or justified is just as if I had not sinned. There's probably other tribes within Christianity that use that term as well. Those of us of a Presbyterian ilk, we don't use those. We use more ancient creeds. Just as if I had not sinned. What justification means is uh, there's a legal aspect of it that, that says I have been this, but now I am this. I was guilty, but now I am innocent. But what we learn in Romans is that God is not only justifying us, he's not only saying you were this, but now you're this. He's also saying I'm justified by raising Jesus from the dead. I am the one who is all powerful, almighty, all loving, and in pursuit of you to bring you into relationship with me. And I prove it by raising Jesus from the dead. 
So that resurrection causes something to happen to transform us. It moves us from being enemies to being children. How does it do that? Well, we see in chapter 5. It says, therefore, since you've been justified, why? Through the raised life of Jesus, through faith, that's the faith that is given to us, Here's the things that we have in our relationship with God. We have peace with God. That we no longer in our mindsets and in our hearts have an adversarial approach to God. That our minds and our hearts change from seeing God as some taskmaster that we have to gain acceptance from or some dictator who doesn't want us to have pleasure And we see him as the good God who loves us completely and steadfastly, knows who we are better than we know ourselves, and is ready to build a life in us that will bring him glory and that we can flourish in. And so it changes our perspective to say, you're not my adversary, God, but you, in fact, are my ally. You have come and rescued me and brought me into this new relationship with you. Not only that, we gain access by faith into grace in which we now stand. That we are presently in God. That we see ourselves completely in Christ, knowing that there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. And it is through the power of the resurrection that in that justification, we know that we have this grace. That it makes us new over and over and over and over again. That great word stand is this, that we are firmly planted in it. That there is nothing that can take us away. Not only that then, because we are justified in this resurrection relationship, we also now have hope. And we need this hope, why? Because suffering will come. That we know because we still live in the world today, that we will experience things that are hardships. But we're able to engage them with hope, knowing that our future is true and held by him who rose Christ from the dead. And so we walk in this resurrection relationship with God in our suffering so that we persevere. And in perseverance, we have character. What character is that? It is the character of Christ being formed in us. Not our own character. It doesn't show who we are at our best. It shows us who Jesus is at his best. That is Jesus who went to the cross for us and it is Jesus who has been risen again and so we have that new life. And so as we walk through struggles and we persevere because the hope that we have of what God is doing, our character is formed into the character of Christ. So we become those who seek out love and justice and mercy and truth. That we look to the other and we look to the glory of God far beyond looking to our own hearts and the desires that we have to be king of our own lives. Because we know that in suffering, our truth identity comes out. That who we really are comes out. And so when we are walking in a resurrection relationship with God, empowered 
through what Christ has done for us, then we are able to see his character being formed in us. And from that character, we continue to live in hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Meaning that even in those moments where we trip and stumble, hope does not put us to shame. Meaning that even in that place where I forget that I'm in this empowered resurrection life and I go back to try and sit on the throne of my heart, that there is not shame there because God has come and transformed us and changed us and made us new. And so I don't need to run and hide. If anything, I need to stand up loud and shout, I need the power of the resurrection to walk me in my relationship with you and others. This hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's steadfast, ever-increasing, always-pursuing love is being poured out into our hearts. As we walk in this resurrection relationship with God, if, if we begin to go closing the scope of our acceptance towards ourself and others, listen, you're not walking in the resurrection. Why? Because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So as we walk in the resurrection power, it ever increases our ability to love God and ourself and everyone else that we encounter. That's why it's foundational for us to live resurrection relationships. Let me say a word about this, though. Oftentimes, because God is God, right? <laughs> we, we get this sense that, yeah, 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 okay, I'm no longer an enemy, but I'm not a friend, I'm kind of more of a frenemy. Right? Like, like yeah, yeah, God likes me and I, like, I want to like God. But that God, he does things I don't quite understand, I don't quite get, I don't, and so we're kind of like, and, and plus I know I do things he, does, he, he God doesn't like, I do things that God wouldn't approve of, and so we kind of sit in this place of frenemy, right? Like, well, sometimes we're good and sometimes we're not. Well, that would be true, if not for the resurrection. Because the great thing that we see here in this passage, when he says he delivered him, us uh, in his death, he delivered us from our sin and he raised us to life and our justification and gave us faith and peace and hope, is this, our past, our present, and our future is in Christ and it's taken care of. That all of that, our past, our present, and our future, every bit of who we are, every bit of what our relationship is, everything that is going to happen, our past, our present, and our future, all of it, God has. He knows it, he holds it, he sees it, he understands it, and he redeems it. He makes it new. And so there is no way for us when God says, I'm going to move you from enemy and change your adversarial heart towards me to one of being my child 
and having a heart of love towards me, when I do that, there is no middle ground. There is no such thing as a frenemy of God. You either are turned in adversarial stance and posture towards him or you are on your knees in all of his great mercy and love. And it is from that position that we will walk in our resurrected relationship with him and the rest of the people that we're going to talk about in this series. Let me pray for us. Father God, let us hold dear to you and who you are and how you have called us to yourself. Let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have moved us to being your friends, your children even. And let us hold on to the hope that you have given to us, allowing your love to be poured into us so that we can love you and love all that we encounter. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.